nine iron for him. They're going to go nuts when he hits this thing. <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. Welcome in. It's 2024 golf fans, and this is the Preferred Lines podcast and live stream happening right now on my Twitter page and and the Preferred Lines YouTube channel. Um, Incredible show to start the season lined up for you tonight. I have a huge guest that I'm super pumped about bringing on here in just a minute. Uh, Sit back, relax, grab a cold beverage if you'd like. We've got overtime in the CFB semifinals before the next game. Um, and before we get started, definitely wanted to give a shout out to my boys over at Fantasy Golf Pod for always supporting the show and helping to continue the growth of what I've been trying to do with this for so long. Chad has been the man. He started this show with me. Uh, make sure to support them as well. They're going to start doing a lot of their programming on the Instagram app, which I think is a very cool differentiating thing that I'm considering as well. If you want to support the show in another way, uh, merch is live on Preferred Lines Golf. Got com excuse me um, a friendly reminder to those new and old listeners okay if you're looking at me right now on twitter go to youtube type in preferred lines make sure to subscribe to the show there i am giving away a hundred dollars tonight at the end of the show to someone who is subscribed and make sure to leave a name or your twitter username or some way for me to contact you in the comments on the youtube channel subscribe leave a comment you're in the running for like a hundred bucks and i will venmo someone and announce the winner later this week okay Thank you, friends, for the intro. Uh, bearing with me there. I am fired up now to bring on live to the show to talk a little golf to start 2024 with me. Welcome in to Preferred Lines. I appreciate you being here. Patrick McDonald, what's up, Pat? Joe, what's going on, my man? I appreciate the intro. Huge. I think uh, is a little bit overboard in my humble opinion, but very appreciative of the kind words. I'm excited to talk a little golf with you, a little 2024 and what might be on the horizon. Dude, I'm so fired up to have you on. Uh, We, full disclosure, we were trying to make this work, I think, for the RSM, and I had the worst uh, computer technicalities that has ever happened, so I felt an obligation and a need and a want to bring you on this show. I appreciate your expertise. I was going back when we originally started DMing and and you like reached we were talking like four years ago, right? And and you were just talked about how you liked the show. So it was really um cool for me to see that like someone who originally liked the show four years ago has come into this role with CBS. You're fantastic. I love you there with Rick and Kyle and and you've been really awesome at your job and to see your ascension. So congratulations. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I I mean, it's been uh, a long, fun journey so far. Uh, This is definitely one of the milestones, I will say. Like I said to you, those many years ago, I've always been a fan of your work. I always like your point of view on things. I think it's a little different. There always needs to be more different points of views out there. I think groupthink is kind of the one thing golf and the golf world has going against it. It's changed a little bit over these last two years, but I think more and more opinions are coming out, and I think that's only a good thing. Absolutely. Well, one of those opinions, let's start right here, that that I kind of had last year, um, and I know many shared it as well, to start the season at this event, right? 
Um, I thought that John Rahm was the right winner when the PGA tour needed him at the right time. And this was the beginning of like an epic four month run for him, both as a player and as a personality. And frankly, as a torch carrier for the PGA tour, we are in a different scenario. Johnny Rahm is gone. We've got a whole new crop of superstars up and rising. We've got an expanded field this week. What are your expectations of the century? And is there a player you can see sort of filling those shoes of Rahm, of being very candid, being very open, being very honest on the microphone, and also coupling that with being able to back that up with tremendous and dominating play over the first couple months? Oof. Those are sad size 16 shoes you're, you're trying to fill right there. I mean, those are monstrous. And I mean, you see someone like Rory McIlroy who typically gets a season going in Dubai. He's kind of hidden in January until the end of it. He's a guy who doesn't even want to talk anymore. And I think a lot of the other guys are kind of in the same boat where they're getting, you know, relatively closer to this deal. They don't want to spill any details if there are any to tell you the truth and kind of burn themselves, burn the PGA tour in their potential position. So I see more and more guys getting a little guarded to tell you the truth, which I think sucks um, just because like I said, I mean, more opinions are always a good thing, I think. Uh, but in terms of play, someone who kind of has been speaking a bit more because he is on a, on the policy board now is Jordan Spieth. I, yeah. I think this is a really big year for him in terms of his career. He just turned 30, just had his second kid uh, and a good start in Kapaloo. I think kickstart, a really good uh, beginning to the second half of his career. I mean, before the Wells Fargo championship where he hurt his wrist and he hurt his back, which was kind of underreported. Uh, he was playing great. Top five masters uh, was in contention at the Vows bar before that water ball on the back nine on Sunday, probably should have won there lost in a playoff at Harbor town with that putt that he thought he made and would have won that tournament for the second straight year. And then he got injured, and the, the rest of the season was kind of a wash outside of, I think, Memphis. He played well for a round or two, and the Ryder Cup was disastrous if you're Jordan or Jordan Spieth. Yeah. So I think just his ability to kind of connect with the common man, the common golf fan, everyone loves Jordan Spieth, and a tournament's always going to be better if he's in contention. And so I think if Jordan Spieth can get off to a good start at Kapalua, which is a great golf course for – his waywardness off the tee and his creativity on and around the greens and his ability to get hot with the irons. I think it'd be a big jolt for the PGA tour, uh, you know, after losing someone like a John Rom. Right answer. Um, he is the right guy at the right time this year that I think the PGA tour would love to see win. Um, he is the personality that affects most both positively and negatively. I think in some aspects, uh, people love him. People hate him, but everyone has a level of respect to him, and his name carries a significant value. I think um, I, I I don't even remember what it was about, but it was it was somebody tweeted me, and I and I said that Spieth is the third most important name in the game right now, and a lot of people didn't like that because he's not the third best player in the sport, and I don't think he's particularly close, but I think he's so important. Um, we've seen him play well here before. It's a unique course setup that you tagged it, it brilliantly when you said it sort of meshes with some of his weaknesses and mitigates those to a certain degree. Um, you know, I wonder about his spot on the policy board. And I don't know that 
it had a positive impact on Rory, but it seems from my understanding that the players have really taken on a lot more responsibility in these negotiations, partly because of what happened uh, previously where they felt like they didn't have a say. There's always been this narrative that it's a player run organization. And I feel like now they're in a position where they have the majority of seats on the board, which they didn't before. What kind of added pressure is that for guys like Spieth and Cantlay to sort of be able to come together and figure out the best deal for all players? You know, they expanded this field, so it's not just the champions anymore. But what's the best deal for Eric Van Ruyen and Denny McCarthy and Kevin Kisner, who's in the booth this week? But but it's, talk about the magnitude of what they're trying to accomplish off the course and how that could potentially affect their play on. It definitely could. And I think uh, John Rahm kind of touched on it in Dubai at the DP World Tour Championship, uh, you know, when he was talking to Liv, but someone asked him like, hey, do you think you'll replace Rory McIlroy on the PGA Tour policy board? And he goes, I don't think anyone's ever played their best golf while on the PGA Tour policy board. And to Rory's credit, two of his best statistical seasons came these last two years. And I don't know if that had to do with the PGA Tour policy board. I think more so that he felt like he was the spokesman for the PJ tour at that point, he kind of got fired up. We, we've seen Rory fired up, whatever case, you know, Sunday at the Ryder cup, uh, most recent iteration of that. He's a very emotional player. He thrives on emotions. I think, uh, Paul Kimmage had an interview in the Irish independent with Shane Lau or with, uh, McGinley and McGinley said something along the same lines where, you know, if you give Rory a reason to get riled up, to get his emotions behind him, that's when he tends to play some of his best golf. Is that the same for someone like Patrick Cantlay? Uh, I don't really think so, uh, but I'd like I'd like to be proven wrong. I am probably in the minority where I am a Patrick Cantlay fan, but it, it's a lot of long hours. You know, sometimes the entire nine to five day where someone like a Jordan Spieth would have been practicing most likely or spending time mm -hmm. with his family. So he, it's just another uh, variable that these guys have to juggle. And, and like you said, the magnitude's huge because for those lower tier PGA tour players, I'd be pretty nervous about what's about to happen. You, you bring right. in private equity money, private equity. The first thing that they, they do, they cut costs. Yeah. They don't need a lot of these tours. I understand, uh, for, you know, fluid like flu fluidity and going in between tours and leveling up and leveling down and all that they're needed they're like a necessary cost for the pj tour and for the ecosystem of golf but a lot of these guys don't drive revenue and i think they've been Thanks. one given a golden ticket with live both guys who have gone to live and guys who have stayed with the pj tour that middle tier you think like i look at the fedex cup fall this year and Liv just wiped out that 50 to 80 range on the PGA Tour. Hmm. It's just desolate. And these guys were given a golden ticket where, you know, these guys are, you know, somewhat relevant now. And they're into signature events last year. Now this year, they're out of signature events. And, and they feel like they should belong in those because they're just in it. Um, so it's all very interesting. I think the lower tier PGA Tour player might be in for a bit of a rude awakening. I think golfers in general are going to be just because the market is so out of whack with some of the contracts these guys are getting. So I don't know if it's going to help anyone's game uh, like it did to Rory McIlroy's. I think he's very much the exception to the rule, uh, but I'd love to be pleasantly surprised whether that is a Cantlay. I'd love for him to lean into his villain role that he, that he had at the Ryder cup, you know, 
the thing Liv has done great is they've taken all the great personalities. All, like, all the villains. All of them. All the assholes. I, I forget who had the quote, but someone's like, Liv took all the assholes. And it's true. To their credit. We they need totally assholes. Did. Yes. The best part about sports is not only rooting for people, it's rooting against people. Like, yes. I don't want Alabama to win tonight. That's why I'm rooting for Michigan. Right. And that, that's really half the battle in sport. And I feel like the PJ tour ha has lost a lot of those villains. And if Cantlay is able to do that, if Spieth's able to turn into a hero again and play great golf, uh, obviously that that's helpful for the PJ tour. Yeah. And, it, and it's interesting. I'm going to be interested to see what comes to fruition and what is the end result of sort of this elevated event series, because you mentioned there is a lack of drama almost without the bad guys, without the ROMs. And I do feel like Cantlay is the one most natural to sort of fill that void in that I don't think he cares. I, he does, but it, it's almost like in a way that Brooks and Bryson and Reed and these different guys and even Rom to a degree would get vilified by the media rightly or wrongly and they would use that to sort of propel their game you know there's a lot of stuff going on right now with with the different sponsors and changing hands and people like wells fargo and dell and longtime sponsors and honda supporters of the pga tour we just got the honda classic was replaced by a brand called cognizant um, they are being asked essentially to now foot the bill for this new elevated event series are is there a path to sustainability here for the tour and basically asking their sponsors to pay this? And are these tour players just simply overpaid? Uh, I, I think a lot of people, a lot of logical people would say the PJ tour players are all overpaid. Um, yeah. I mean, these guys are getting, they're asking for quarterback type money <laughs> in a league that barely broke even in 2022. They generated under $2 billion in 2022. I think the Cowboys are worth around $10, 10 billion-ish. Yeah. And per the ESPN report, uh, the strategic sports group and PIF is valuing the PGA Tour Enterprises, which is going to be the commercial operations of the Tour, the DP World Tour, and Live Golf, which I don't think a lot of people understand. And they're valuing that around 10 pretty oh. much as much as the Cowboys. Yeah, That's one team. And for these guys to kind of, I mean, kudos to them for, for them, you know, the way John Rahm handled the situation, I think if you're looking to get the bag, he 100% did it the right way where I think he knew coming into the new year, someone's going to pay him hundreds of millions of dollars. It's going to mm -hmm. come from the PGA tour and this new private equity money and this potential deal, or it's just going to come from the Saudi Arabian PIF and in the next couple of years, he's probably going to come back and be playing in the tournaments where he wants to be playing, whether that's Riviera or Bay Hill or, or whatever. Um, so I think these guys have those who have taken advantage of it, you know, like a, a Kepka, like a, a Cam Smith, like a yes. Rom. I, I think they've done a, a good job economically, v very business savvy for them to do that. And on the flip side of it, some of these other guys, like, I mean, Rory McIlroy is getting paid a ton of money too. Victor Hovland just made over, 35 million dollars his first contract from live was just only 50 surely that has changed since but that was the original offer they gave him so yes i think they're they're all overpaid not all but the vast majority of them and i think eventually the market's probably gonna level out with uh this new private equity money in the pif but as as your question for sustainability i think the adults are going to come into the room with fenway sports group with mm -hmm. Arthur Blank, with these guys who 
have a proven track record in the space with sports team, they're going to come in the room and, and figure things out. And I think uh, golf will be in a better place once all the dust settles. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's tough because in a way there is no, you know, and they, and they tried a little bit to lean into this. I don't think it would have hit home for quite a while with the TGL and lives kind of trying to hit home where you're associating with cities and regions and cultures, and you're trying to mesh that line that we see in other professional sports, but golf naturally doesn't have that. So it's a traveling circus. And if you don't have the main acts, um, People aren't going to come to see it in the waves. And I wonder how the TV viewership deal is going to kind of work out and where those numbers lie. I think that Liv continues to apply pressure on them because they have no real concern, apparently, or motivation to, to turn a profit at this point. I mean, Rom's if he got $500 million, was 0.1% of the entire PIF's assets. Um, it's an endless pit. More guys can go. But what is do they have a path, do you think, to OWGR points? Because that is the joker and the ace that the PGA Tour holds right now that I think is preventing so many players. Obviously, Jay has a seat on the OWGR board as well as Keith Pelly. It feels like if they lose that card and they're able to find a way, whether it's going to four rounds or manipulating their structure in a way to be able to get them accurate OWGR points, which I think we all agree they, they deserve some. Um, what cards left do they have besides ending up in a merger deal with them? That the PGA Tour still has? Yes. I think it just makes way too much sense for the Saudi PIF to come to the table with this deal for a couple reasons. One, okay. there's a ton of red flags in the United States regarding Saudi Arabia. Whether you agree with them or not, that's a completely different conversation but people are hesitant to work with them i think even they live golf would admit that they've struggled to kind of get a foothold in their u.s events some of the international ones great like valderrama fantastic adelaide's the one that they always hoot and yeah. holler about great great events in person but i think even they would admit that in the united states they've fallen behind and it's been very difficult for them to kind of build up the infrastructure that they need and so if you're the piff and live golf who i think's gonna stick around I, I never understood the people who said it's gonna fold i don't understand that one but you do this deal you solve a lot of problems one they see the saudi piff working with fenway sports group with arthur blank with steve cohen that kind of signals to other corporations like hey these guys are okay to work with and the one thing i know about rich people is they love other rich people and they love getting rich together if they can. And so no one's really richer than the Saudi PIF when they're $700 billion assets under management. So yeah. it signals to you know those companies who are uneasy that these guys are all right to work with. And it gives them a bit of legitimacy and that built-in infrastructure that the PGA Tour already has through those historical venues like Riviera, like Bay Hill, through the TV contracts that they have. Uh, through just the prestige and history of some of the events. So I think it really makes sense for the PIF to do that from that perspective. And then the PGA Tour, obviously, they're just getting blood dry. They they have to do it with someone. I think if they only yeah. do it with the private equity uh, money, that's really just like a temporary solution. And, and so it, it's really a win, win, win from all three perspectives, the, the SSG, the PIF, and the PGA Tour. So I, I am confident it, it gets done. Maybe I'm uh, the fool in this situation, but... I just see way too many positives for everyone involved for them to mess this up. 
Yeah, I, I would 100% be in agreement with you. I think that the deal does get done, and the deal has to get done, I think, for the PGA Tour. Like you mentioned, if it's just Fenway Sports Group, um, I don't think they have the bottomless pit, obviously, that the PIF has, and there's going to be a financial interest early on to be profitable, which that pressure kind of relinquishes a bit if you do the PIF deal. Look, it's you mentioned that, that sponsors are now being more okay with it. I think one of the biggest mistakes they made from the start was was demonizing it, the, the Saudi league and the money, because their sponsors already were. Morgan Stanley, which is their biggest sponsor of their flagship event, the Players' Championship, was already in bed there. They were the first investment company like that to start actively trading in Saudi Arabia. Coca-Cola, who is the lead sponsor of the Tour Championship, does all their bottling in Saudi Arabia. So when they're making these remarks publicly, sort of demonizing anyone who's willing to work with them, they were really kind of putting out there they're some of their biggest and long-standing premier sponsors to to begin with which I think do you think you think Jay makes it through 2025 in in January 1st 2025 do we still got Jay Monahan I will say Jay Monahan will come out of this as a winner and bear with me I don't think it's any coincidence that Fenway Sports Group is tied to this hmm. uh those who are you know knowledgeable know Jay was in it was in executive vice president for Fenway sports group before he came to the PGA tour. It makes a lot of sense that this Massachusetts kid comes back to Boston and you know what he brings with him. He brings a goddamn sports league. All these guys have sports teams. None of them have a sports league and Jay Monahan is going to deliver it to his buddies over at Fenway sports group on a silver platter. I'm sure they will offer a position back to him. He makes a logical liaison for this investment. And because he, he was the guy, right? So I think Jay yeah. Monahan's going to come away as a winner, uh, despite how poorly he has handled this the past handful of years. And I think, honestly, that could, that could be something he's angling at as we yeah. speak right now, you know, the exit plan for him. Because I think 2025, I think, is very optimistic. I'd, I'd be surprised if he's still there through 2024, to tell you the truth. Yeah, I think he's going to be relieved of his position, but you're right. I think that he's got a place in the game. And I've come around on Jay. I was so critical at the start of this of him and I thought he needed to go and especially when he went back on his word it was really hard to support the guy but as I put a lot of thought into it after the Rom situation and I and I read the book that Alan wrote about live or let die that I thought was fantastic that opened up some new lines of thought I hadn't previously considered he really took it on himself to fall on the sword and, and be ridiculed and be absolutely persecuted in the media for being the biggest hypocrite in all of sports. And I think he did it because it was the only path to save the professional game, even though I think he understood that he would be destroyed, that he would be blown up, that he was going to implode his own career. It was the only right thing to do. So when he was willing to have those talks initially, um, it was the only path for saving the PGA Tour at that point. And I actually think in 10 years from now, when all the 30 for 30s are out and we know understand everything that went on behind the scenes, or at least most of it, um, we'll look back on Jay in a much more positive light than maybe we we consider right now. Um, but enough about that. Let's let's shift gears kind of to the century this week. I wanted to talk to you briefly and ask you a couple of questions about Kapalua. Long-standing PGA Tour stop. 
We know the yardage, obviously a par 73. It has the five par fives. Um, Bermuda grass, it is one of the strictest elevation changes in terms of um, where the tee boxes are. So many of them are elevated. So many of these fairways, which are extremely wide, people will talk about, end up in these very similar collection areas. So to me, it really kind of turns itself into a second shot golf course. The other thing I have in my notes from previous years which I don't know makes a ton of statistical sense, but it just lines up with the winners. Um, It is a complete birdie fest. So in tournaments like this, I would not normally factor in around the green game whatsoever because you've got to be hitting nearly all of them to make enough birdies to win. But you look at where Colin Morikawa lost it last year and there were some flub chips late. You look at some previous champions in Patrick Reed and even John Rahm and Cameron Smith and Jordan Spieth and these guys who just have an innate ability to really kind of get themselves up and down in tricky situations on tight Bermuda, on undulated, uneven lies. So that is the one thing that I'm kind of adding in that I think is a little bit different than maybe some people may be looking at this event. Is there any one thing that sticks out to you that maybe you're sort of applying to your strategy this week that is beyond the the obvious signs and steps that we see at Kapalua? I think that's a really well-founded point uh, regarding around the green, just because when you do make a bogey here, it hurts that much more, right? You're yeah. not really losing a stroke to the field. You might be losing two strokes to the field. Uh, so, you know, bogey avoidance around the green play, I think is probably being overlooked, but it's very important. I think uh, as in terms of what I'm looking at, I'll be honest, I haven't looked at it much, but this is a type of event where I'm just going to bet on guys who were playing good yeah. golf and are probably due for a win. So, uh, so it's a couple guys who I bet way too much in 2023. I cashed $0 on them total <laughs> and how, how to new year's resolutions. If they burn me this time in the small field at a forgiving golf course, at a golf course where, like you said, it's a second shot golf course. A lot of birdies will be made. Uh, very undulated, a lot of elevation changes. I remember when I was at Cage Valley covering that BMW championship, mm-hmm. Phil, Phil Mickelson was like walking to the 10th tee and he's like, this place fucking sucks regarding Cage Valley. And he's like, there's only two other golf courses that are a tougher walk than this. It's Augusta National and it's Kapalua. Wow. Uh, and so that that was kind of the my introduction to the elevation changes, how difficult it was, because that course was a brute to walk uh, four days for those guys. So yeah, like you said, it's really – I think these birdies fests are tough, and I think it's even more difficult when you have a guy like Scotty Scheffler who uh, might have learned how to putt over the off season. He might have learned how to putt, and he's got a good little track record here as well. Like, how? What do we? What do you do with form here? Because it's a weird thing where you know, as you try to prepare for a betting show and you try to make smart picks, you want to look and see if you can pull some data and strings together. The majority of these guys, outside of the hit and giggle at the Hero um, in December, we haven't really seen since the Tour Championship. For most of these guys, if we have seen them, it's one time. Are you? able to sort of analyze anything that happened in the late summer or fall and use that to project what's going to absolutely happen like this first month of January, or is it more gut feel? And once we get a month of sort of baseline stats, then you can start applying that maybe in a month from now. I think you look at kind of the statistic, uh, statistical profile of the winners, you know, someone like a Cameron Smith, iron playing putting John Rom had a great putting 
uh, performance like the first four months of the season, and his iron play was red hot. Colin Morikawa, obviously a great iron player, should have won this tournament last year. Harris English, his two strengths, putting, he's great around the green, and when his iron play is hot, it's very hot. Um, and so for me, I'm kind of just looking at those two buckets in, in particular and then long-term form. I, I think yeah. saying, oh, this guy finished – Fourth at the tour championship, he's going to play well four months later in Kapalua is a bit far fetched. Um, but just quality players, I don't think, despite this field being extended to nearly 60 players, I'd be pretty surprised if it's not someone from the top 10 or 15 on the odds board who, who wins. Yeah, I would agree with you. Let's pull them up now. This is who we got at the top of the board. No surprise here, but Scotty Scheffler coming off the win at the Hero is your favorite. Um, the best odds currently available at Caesar Sportsbook are plus 625. So if you bet $100 on Scotty Scheffler this week, you will return yourself 725 if he wins. The only other guy under 10 one. <coughs> excuse me, Patrick. Excuse me, people watching the show. Um, family came down. First time COVID man over Christmas break. Made it four years. Not so bad. It didn't wow. hit me too hard, the wife. But every now and then when I'm talking for a while, you get the little, you know, the throat shit. But I'm out of protocols. Family is safe. We're moving on. Victor Hoblin. Get the zinc in you. Oh, I've had so much zinc. So much zinc, Patrick. Okay. Zinc, D, C. Um, yeah, just been getting some sunlight, too. Natural okay. sun. Yeah. yeah. You, you got to be ripping so many vitamins that your piss is like electric yellow. I don't even know. I thought about getting one of the IV bags, but yeah, no, okay. just, just, just ripping vitamins, a little bit of mucinex early on, but uh, we made it through there. Kevin says THC and zinc. Kevin, I'm not going to lie. There's been a gummy or two along the way. Um, helps me sleep. You know, we're, we're getting back to normal. Uh, plus 850, Victor Hovland second on the odds board. Then... 14 to one. He's fourth on this list, but the third freaking favorite in the first tournament of the year is Ludwig Oberg. Um, holy hell. What are the expectations? Does he come completely storming out of the gate? Is this number ridiculous? Are we ready for him to be essentially the third favorite in a stacked field to start the PGA tour season? Or have we overhyped the hell out of this guy? Uh, I've gone big time back and forth on this because you look at his 11 tournament stats, he leads the PJ tour. Like if you, you go on the PJ tour site, the leader in par four scoring the leader in par five scoring the leader in birdie average it's Ludwig granted. It was only like a 44 round sample size. And then you see what he did on the DP world tour, uh, you know, top five at the Omega European uh, winning as well. And then holding the 54 hole lead at the BMW PGA by two, which, you know, he, he easily could have won in their flagship event that included the entire European Ryder cup team. Um, so I will say about him this week, I'm not too high on him just because one, that price, I think is pretty difficult to, uh, to pallet and two, he's, he's, he has the potential to be a generational driver of the golf ball. He's ridiculous sure. off yeah. the tee. It's dumb. It, it curves like maybe three yards. It's down the pipe every freaking time. And as much as I love that for him, that you don't really need at Kapalua. Nope. Like you said, these fairways are freaking wide. And so because of that, it kind of mitigates one of his greatest strengths, his greatest strength. And he's going to have to rely much more on the iron play. And I'm not sure if it's going to be up to par or similar to someone like uh, Colin Marcawas or Max Homas or Xander Shoffley's. 
Um, so I think short term this week, he might struggle relative that that could easily still be like a top 10 finish for him. Um, but I'm pretty interested to see what he's going to do long term because he mowed down kind of these lesser tier PGA Tour events, these FedEx Cup fall events. And he has played against the big guys like the BMW PGA. And I think he was in the Travelers as well. Um, but I'm interested to see kind of his first time going through this first time going through the West Coast swing, through the Florida swing, through Texas. Uh, if there's any hiccups along the way, because I feel like those are just inevitable in everyone's career. But every first experience, he's answered the bell. So I'd love to be proven wrong on that and uh, him to take the world by storm. He's answered the bell. Absolutely. Like you mentioned, every chance he's gotten, including the RSM, which was the last event he played, which he won, which I think I said before the RSM, look, this is a course that completely takes away his biggest weapon. Kind of like we're saying here, still dominated on approach. Um, He's the only one in the field over his last 20 rounds, hitting over 80% of greens in regulation. They're massive this week. I would imagine that number ticks up to 90% this week. Like He's just going to put it in the right spot in the fairway. He's going to be a little bit longer than everyone else, but we mentioned about the collection areas. It's just going to come down to putting for him, which he's also been really good at in the short game. But wanted to touch on Scotty and something that you mentioned earlier. Um, this has been, at least last year, I think the second best course in terms of putting for him last year. Kind of maybe has this place figured out a little bit. And it's strange because you look at the guys at the top and you look at like someone like Victor and you're like, how can he possibly like play much better than he played? Well, you look at Scotty and you're like, he can. It's a very easy scenario to see how he can play much better than he played last season and improve on where he left off. Um, just not going to be someone who bets someone under 10 to one, but talk about the progress he's made with, with the putting coach, with the putter switch and what you would expect to see that. Would you expect to see that turnaround early 2024? I do. Uh, and I can't take credit for that take. It's mostly from Mark Immelman, who is an on-course guy for us at CBS and Greg Ducharme, who's with Michael Breed also with us at CBS, who are kind of the technical gurus on our team. And they both, kind of spotted problems with his putting stroke midway really? through the season. Uh, Mark was following him, I think, at the Schwab, and he was, like, disgusted with it. Uh, he was there at the Memorial as well. Both tournaments, Scotty Scheffler should have won. I think his I think he, his tee to green numbers at the Memorial, he gained, like, 20 strokes or something. It was something Insane. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and, and they both identified uh, <laughs> kind of like a hitch. And then once you have a technical mm-hmm. issue, that obviously trickles up in between the years, and it can be really difficult to get over that. And they said at the Hero World Challenge, even at the Ryder Cup, it looked a lot better in their, both of their eyes. So working with Phil Kenyon and his track track record, you look at Justin Rose, who got back in the winner's circle. You look at Keegan Bradley, who had two wins and was a poor putter. Uh, Matt Fitzpatrick's a great putter. And I think quietly, Max Homa has turned into one of the best putters in the world. Yes. All Phil Kenyon guys. So if Scheffler can be a, gain a one stroke per turn, per tournament, with the putter. And I think the ball striking T to green wise, it's probably going to come back down to earth, not a ton, but like ever so slightly. Yeah. But I kind of like that a lot more than last year where Scotty Scheffler probably should have won five, six tournaments. And instead it's weird to say a disappointing PGA tour season was 
winning at the Phoenix Open and winning the Players' Championship because <laughs> the PGA could have been his. The Masters, he, he hit the ball great as well. U.S. Open, he hit the great the ball great as well. Uh, Colonial, he should have won. Memorial, Memorial he should have won. won. Like, yeah, straight up. And so I think he he's great in the media where he says it never gets to him. But I think it's just human nature where it's in the back of his head that he's missing these five six footers constantly. And for him to kind of get over that hump, I think it's going to be huge for his confidence. And I would not be surprised if, you know, Kyle Porter ha- had a, a bold takes and he thinks Scotty Scheffler is going to win five times. I-, I think he's right. I think he's going to win five times this year. We haven't seen someone do that since uh, 2017, I think. So I think uh, that streak comes to an end. Scheffler picks up five and I-, I think he probably wins this week, too. Yeah, especially with a little bit of like a depleted top end nature. Um, Phil Kenyon, I think, was uh, the one I believe that Brooks credited as well with turning around his putting during his epic sort of run there when he went on the major championships. But it's it's you know, it's interesting to me because you mentioned the hitch in the putting stroke and I never really saw it, but I certainly trust those guys eyes more than I did. Um, But, you know, I talked I had Denny McCarthy on back in November and I talked to him and I'm like, you're everyone's putting stroke is good on the PGA tour. What makes you the best putter every year? And like, he talks so much about just green reading. And I think it's somewhere that um, in between the two where it felt to me, like there were so many times where he hit what looked to be a good putt on his intended line and was just shocked that he missed it. And I think that he's not like feeling like he's pushing it or hitching it too much. But I think a lot of it comes down to green reading, which is I think is a spot that's hard to sort of predict. But it's definitely a spot that I think that um, he can improve. And obviously, you know, Kyle said five wins. It doesn't sound crazy to me whatsoever. Um, I think that he can knock off at least one major. And with this sort of smaller field series, five wins, it seems like a win every two months is absolutely something that is achievable for Scotty Scheffler coming in. You mentioned Homa. Homa's here at 14 to one. Uh, Xander is at 16 to one. He had that weird sort of withdrawal last year, but has played very well with this course before. Uh, Morikawa, who we talked about, kind of blew it last year is 14 to one. It was nice to see him get that win during the fall there as well. Cantlay is here 17 to one. Then you go up to Tom Kim, uh, Jordan Spieth there in the mid twenties. Is there one guy that you've sort of seen in this range that you're looking to have a good week? What one more thing on Scheffler regarding the green reading. Uh, Tell I think me. it was Smiley Kaufman on the call there at the hero world challenge. He's, he said Kenyon told him to kind of take ownership of the green reading process. He thought he was bringing in Ted Scott way too much. much. So I think you know, regarding what you said, they were probably just nitpicking some of these reads and looking way too much into things where Ted's not reading his putts anymore, or at least he didn't in the Bahamas. So yeah, uh, that, 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 that could be a huge change as well. Um, but regarding this area of the odds board, I have picked two guys. I've bet on two guys. They're 18 to one at Bavada this morning. I thought they were good prices at the time and they are gone, which makes me feel feel good about myself at least always makes you feel good yeah i mean they're not gonna win but i feel good about it right now Um, who you got i i got xander shoffley and patrick cantley i'm going with them both i'm going with them both uh it's gonna go up in flames but cantley i think he's coming into this year extremely motivated having played such good golf in 2023 
but not not getting into the winner's circle. Probably feels like he should have won the FedEx Cup St. Jude, but hit that ball in the water in the playoff against Lucas Glover. And then someone like Xander Shoffley, where we talk about this being a second-shot golf course, his iron play was immaculate in 2023. And his one bugaboo is kind of – he can get a little wild off the tee. And that's mitigated here. You give him, you know, his scoring clubs, his putter. I mean, he's a top-tier putter as well. And I love what Xander Shoffley and his potential at this course. A playoff loser, a winner here, chasing down Gary Woodland a few years back. Um, so I feel like if I'm betting Xander, I got to bet Cantlay. And I like Cantlay a little bit um, just in general to – knock a few wins, uh, get a few wins under his belt this year. So those are my two guys that I'm betting both of. Yeah. I, I like that you said that because Xander was the guy for me. Um, he is my prediction in this sort of range. You mentioned the approach play was super consistent, even over the, even more short term over the last 20 rounds, he's gained a stroke per round on average on approach play. I think that's the difference maker here. Um, you know, I went to this, uh, Patrick, they had this grand opening premiere event at Panther national, like a month and a half ago that it was Justin Thomas's new course. And Xander was there and it was freaking awesome guys. Like I got to literally walk the fairways. There's no ropes. I'm standing right next to these guys. I'm talking to them. And it was the, the professional players there were, was EVR was Justin Thomas was Ricky was Morgan Hoffman was Lexi Thompson and Xander. It just being next to him for 18 holes and walking with him and seeing the shots that he's able to hit. It's different, man. Even than Justin Thomas, like you can see where the separation is. And it was boggles my mind that he hasn't won more big events because he was hitting it past everyone. He was hitting it closer than everyone. He was getting up and down in situations that was it was unbelievable. And I and I talked to him a little bit about it. Um, he's moved to Florida. So more familiarity, obviously, with Bermuda grass. It's where I believe that the majority of his practice has taken place. Um, he's starting to, I asked him why he said, cause all his friends are here. Look, he, he, I think that those kind of things are just going to help him early on in the season. Obviously we know he, he has a lot of pressure during the West coast swing to win out there and typically plays well there. But I think this sort of Hawaii swing on the Bermuda and coming down to the Florida swing, he will be better prepared for this year. He's got great history here. He was in a three-way playoff the one year with Reed and Spieth. Um, that's my bet. The approach play both short and long term have been hitting and I'm hoping to see some improved play on the Bermuda grass greens. They can elevate him to sort of an early season win to hopefully propel himself uh, to a big opening start there this year, because I think that, that he's one of the guys most due for it. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you want to be in the Xander camp, you think about these no cut events, those have kind of been his bread and butter throughout the year. Absolutely. Always the talking point with Xander and that playoff loss. He honestly should have won. He three parted the last hole. I think people forget as well. If yes. he just two putted, he wins the tournament. So yeah, I'm with you all the way in the, on the Xander boat. Um, Moving down the board a little bit, Matt Fitzpatrick, we're into the 30 to one range is here at 30, the best number available. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood is also 30 to one. Tyrrell Hatton, 30 to one. Sung JM, 33. Tony Finau, 33. Thank God we kept Tony Finau, man. I hope he has a big year and comes back. Ricky, who we talked about a few minutes ago, is 35. Hideki, Russell Henley, 40 to 45. 
uh, moving down Cameron Young, Jason Day, Sam Burns, Wyndham Clark. These are all players right under that 50 to 1 mark or better this week that you can get at the century. Give me one guy here that you sort of seeing having a good week and are hoping for a nice little long shot payday for come Sunday. Yeah, since I am invested in in two top tier guys, I'm kind of limited. That, that's all I put my own personal money on. But a name I looked at pretty heavily was Tommy Fleetwood, just for the sake of betting guys who can't win. Um, and I mean, he was just phenomenal in 2023. He was so good. Uh, you think about the Canadian Open, he probably should have won that. I, I know it was a great finish. I know Nick Taylor, very deserving champion there. But Fleetwood stood on that 18th hole with like, I think his live odds were minus 450, something like that, just needing a birdie to win. Uh, you think about the firepower with those 63s at the U.S. Open uh, in the final round, only player to ever do that twice. Uh, probably should have won on the DP World Tour Championship as well to end the season, kind of hiccups late. Uh, Nikolai was able to win that one for you know a great victory for him as well. But he just gets himself in the mix so much, and eventually – I know we've been beating this drum for years. Eventually, it's just going to have to fall his way. And he's just so well-rounded throughout the bag now. His putter has really taken a step forward, I think. The iron play and ball striking are always going to be great. And I want to say this is his first time here because obviously he's never won on the PGA Tour. Uh, But I'm not sure if he was like one of the tour championship uh, guys who got got in a couple years ago or whatever. But It looks to be the first time he's here, yes. Yeah, so I guess that would be the only thing that concerns me. But I think Tommy Fleetwood, his game's just way too good long-term, short-term, what, whichever way you want to look at it, that I would be surprised if he's not, you know, hovering around the top 10, you know, entering Sunday or whatever it may be. So that was the name that really interested me because I think some of these guys, I have a lot of question marks about, like Cameron Young, show me something, my man. Like, yeah. why Why did why did Paul Tesori leave? That's a weird question yeah. that I think needs to be answered. Jason Day had a great resurgent year. Same with Ricky Fowler, but they kind of fell off a little bit. Hideki Matsuyama is the most difficult man to figure out in golf, potentially the world. Um, and Sung JM has been quiet, but I know he had a good start there in Korea too. So, And, and he has good history here and Augusta National, which you see a lot of correlations. So maybe a little Sung Jae in uh, Fleetwood. Good points about Sung Jay there. I thought a lot about it. Um, obviously, the approach play was was terrible, but that's the strength of this player. And I like anytime you get a guy who obviously played a little bit in Korea, but we haven't really seen from a statistical strokes gain standpoint data on in over three months. Right. You give a guy this kind of time off and you expect that he can hopefully figure out the strength of his game, which is that approach play. Even over the last the last uh, 20 rounds played, he's better off the tee around the green and putting than he is with his irons, which is shocking for someone like Sung J.M. Uh, three good finishes with a fifth and eighth and a 13th in the last three years at this event as well. You mentioned, I thought, a great point about a comp on on sort of Augusta National and being that course where there's so much elevation that you often never get a flat lie. That is very similar here. I thought a little bit about Russell Henley. Um, he's played great, obviously, at the Sony in Hawaii. This is a very, very different course. I think the Sony has 10 feet of elevation change. You're looking at over 500 here. Uh, but someone who plays Bermuda grass so well, I don't think distance kills him because if he can catch some of these slopes and get in these collection areas, then it just becomes a, a festival of 
who can hit the closest shots from 125 to, you know, anywhere from 100 to 150 yards. He's great with a pitching wedge in his hand. And can he get a hot putter and make putts? Yes. Is he going to slay dragons on Sunday? Um, that's where I have some hesitation there. Hideki, I want to be able to get behind at 40 to one. I've seen his Instagram and tweets that he's been there and playing Kapalua for like two weeks now. I don't know what to think of Hideki. I'm just going to pause and hopefully try to see some form on a player like that before I'm ready to pull the trigger, but it's certainly an attractive betting number. Yeah. Especially for a player of his quality. I think he's kind of gotten stuck in the arms race where, I know he's working with, uh, you know, a long drive guy trying to squeeze oh, some more he? distance. Oh, squeeze some more distance. At least last year it was, and you couple his history, his injury history with something like that, and I think it just brings in another question mark that uh, is not really needed. I think. Yeah. Um, going beyond fifty to one, these are tough in a field with this much strength up top. But you've got Corey Connors, you've got Brian Harmon, you've got shout out to recent podcast guests and newly. Married, which I don't love for this week. Uh, Denny McCarthy at 66 to 1. Eric Cole, 66 to 1. Uh, Sepp Straka is there. Cameron Davis is there. Justin Rose is right at 80 to 1. Sahith is at 80 to 1, which is a nice little number on Sahith if you feel like you know the driving accuracy ain't going to hurt him too much this week. Hadwin, Svensson, English. These are some long shot bombs. Do you have anyone in here that you think is maybe worth a 10 or a $20 flyer this week? I think there are a ton of attractive names. I mean, you look at some of these guys' ceilings, like someone like Sepp Straka, who finished top 10 at the PGA, runner-up at the Open, just finished second to Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he has all the firepower in the world if you're thinking this tournament's going to reach 25, 30 under for a winning score. Cam Cam Davis was someone who had a really tough start to his 2023 being sick. Uh, he yeah. kind of turned it around there late. He played some really great golf late in the season. I'm expecting a really big year from him and for him to kind of be a cornerstone of that international team up there in Montreal. So I like those two names. And then, you know, Sahith, you could get anything. I wouldn't be shocked if he's in contention. I wouldn't be shocked if he's like 35th come Sunday. Uh, so I think those are the type of guys you kind of want when you're betting in this range, though. So, uh, yeah, I'd yeah. say those those three. I'd take an 81 on Sahith this week. If my book posts that number, I'm going to be in. But can we... Can we bet Eric Cole? Like, <laughs> this guy's unbelievable. His fall was freaking incredible. Like, if we're going to take anything from the fall, here are his results. Third, second, third, 35th, fourth. He plays everything. He's crushing minor league events down here in Florida. He is the number one approach guy in the entire field over the last 20 rounds. That's better than Aberg. Oh, also, he's like the best guy around the green over the last 20 rounds. He gets everything up and down. Do I know if he can make it of birdies? I don't. I know that he sprays it off the tee. I don't think that really hurts him here. But Eric Cole's like 66 to 1. And, and without having a win, probably the hottest player throughout the fall series beyond maybe Ludwig. And I just kind of want to, to – I kind of want to bet him. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Don't don't let me get in your way. I, I think the one thing I'm concerned about with all these FedEx Cup fall guys is just not seeing a lot of a lot of top tier competition. And and when those guys did play, you look at Sahith who won the Fortnet, Tom Kim won the Shriners, Colin Markawa won the Zozo. They kind of cleaned up in the events that they were supposed to win, uh, which I thought was kind of a cool underlying storyline throughout the FedEx Cup fall and kind of that gap between 
top 20 player on the PGA tour and top 50, 60 player on the PGA tour might be a bit more significant than, than the eye tells. What do you make of, you mentioned Tom Kim, what do you make of players who are going through either a coaching or a caddy change? Like, is it, is it always a positive? Does it depend on the situation? Obviously Cameron Young was struggling and let go of Paul, who's now I believe on Brendan Todd's bag, who's also in the field. Tom Kim lost his caddy Joe to, to Ludwig. You can't blame Joe for taking that bag, but to give up someone like Tom Kim, who was a superstar and the, in the youngest, hottest thing two years ago, um it's tough Cameron Young was that three years ago do you think it's a positive impact on the players that are like a Cameron Young like a Tom Kim that are losing potentially a a great and well-rounded and established caddy on the bag is it a negative coming into the year I think losing someone like a Paul Tesori who's like known as maybe a top five bag man on the PJ tour is going to be pretty tough and I think everyone saw what happened with Ted Scott and Scotty Scheffler and was like, oh, this is obviously what's going to happen with Cameron Young and Paul Tesori. And they had a great start to their relationship at the match play and then at the Masters. Cam Young was playing great, uh, but clearly something wasn't clicking down the stretch of the season outside the Open Championship. So I think uh, reading Shupak's article, Tesori is looking for kind of less time on the golf course. He has a back injury. Uh, that's been bothering him for a bit. So that's why he went to Brendan Todd, who, who's a good buddy. So I don't think it does anything to help them. Um, I think Tom Kim is, I mean, he's still, he's th- like three years younger than Ludwig. He's 21 and a half, uh, are, already three times a winner, already a runner up at the open championship. I think if this is like a little bump in the road, it's only going to help him long-term. There might be some struggles early, but who, who knows if they're, presence on the bag had such an impact that i mean they were both under one-year relationships it, it's, it wasn't really a real long-term uh situation for either <clears throat> either of them and they're both very young players so i think they'll both be able to get over it eventually and whether that takes a couple tournaments who knows underrated part of the game i've always said and it truly is in many ways dealing with the sunday pressures a team sport tonight was a team sport i needed your help patrick um i am super appreciative that you were able to come on the show it was great to speak with you um before we get you out of here tell everyone where they can find you and what you've got lined up for content for the year of 2024 in professional golf yeah i'm uh, p mcdonald cbs on all social channels you can find me there I'm at the First Cut Pod uh, every Tuesday and Sunday. It's typically my shows. I'm on Sportsline for a weekly betting show. That'll be coming, I believe, at we're starting up at Torrey Pines to kind of get football out of the way uh, first. I have my I started my own YouTube channel uh, today, oh. so you can find me there as well. I have my own newsletter as well, and I obviously write for CBSSports.com. Um, so you can find me at all those places if you care enough to track me down, which honestly, I hope you don't. If you do go outside, play in traffic, get a life. But if, if you, I am appreciative of it at the same time. I say that tongue in cheek. They should, man, because you're on top of everything as it comes in. You're on every platform. I see you out there grinding the TikTok streets as well, dude. Uh, keep killing it. Rest of luck this season to you and everything that you've got going on with CBS. It was a pleasure and an honor to have you on the show tonight. Thank you. Uh, Best of luck and hope you hit a winner this week, Patrick. Thanks, Joe. All right. Talk soon. 
All right, awesome to have Patrick on. Been meaning to do that for quite a while. Listen, if you guys are here, thank you. Um, I appreciate the hell out of you. Even if you couldn't make it live and you catch this on either the audio version or uh, YouTube later on this week, I'd like you to do me a quick favor. I'm giving away $100. All you got to do, subscribe to the Preferred Lines YouTube channel. Please, please do that. That is where you're going to get updates on everything that we have going on for the entire season and a mega giant announcement that I'm about to reveal in just a few seconds. Please go over there and do that. Do me a favor in the comments here, drop your Twitter username, drop an email, anything you've got. Once you've subscribed, put that in there. That is where I'm going to put the collection of people who are entered into this drawing for a hundred bucks. I want to give back to you guys a little bit. John, thank you. Subscribe everybody. Now let's go 2024 year of the dragon. We're going to absolutely slay this golf season. Okay. For an update on the Preferred Lines podcast and myself, I am excited, honored, thrilled to announce that for the 2024 season, I will be joining the Roto Baller PGA team. Um, this is a group of Joe Nicely, of Spencer, of Byron that I have a ton of respect for and that I consider huge friends of mine. I am excited to get to work with them. We are starting next week for the Sony Open. Everything is still kind of getting ironed out in terms of what that looks like, but I will be doing written content. I will be doing exclusive video content. I will be doing power rankings, all things, and I'm going to put more work into this season, I can promise you, than I ever have in golf content in my entire life. I'm committed to making this thing work. I'm committed to helping them achieve their goals as I believe they will help propel me to mine along the way. It is truly like a, a changing moment to me um, to be able to join a team and have them want me to be a part of that. They, I sh probably shouldn't even say this, but the guys sent me a little video as I was mulling over the decision and it meant so much to me. It meant the world to me that in being alone for the past year on this journey, right, and not feeling like I have a team besides you all to support me, but someone to do it together with. Um, I've always been a team sport person, and that meant a ton to me that they were willing to reach out and wanted me to be a part of their team. So I can't thank them enough. I'm excited to get started Make sure I'm going to give away a hundred bucks. Make sure to, uh, you know, as, as a part of sort of celebrating this for myself. Thank you, Joey. I appreciate you. Kevin, you're the man. DFS Kev, put your handle in there. Get into the drawing. Let's do it. Let's crush this year. I want to start. Um, I want to finish the show, excuse me, by doing a quick final thoughts segment and we'll go ahead and get out of here. Um, thank you. I, I just want to thank everyone who's watched the show and supported the vision and goals I have for myself and preferred lines. And I recognize that you are not small and I don't want to ever lose sight of the people that supported me and this journey early on to the point I am at now. Um, you have been helpful. You have been friends along the way. And that is extremely meaningful and genuine to me. And I don't want to ever lose that in this process that you guys are the people that sort of made this all possible for me. Um, I always feel like this is an important message around holiday season and um, a book that I mention often on this show is, is helped me deal a lot with some mental health stuff is the seven spiritual laws of success by Mr. Deepak Chopra. Um, and the second law is the law of giving, right? And I think it's important to remember anytime you go through the holiday season and what can be a very stressful time for a lot of people. 
Um, it's a law that can universally be thought as of the law of giving, but it's also so much about receiving, right? These two things, Mr. Chopra describes as a dynamic exchange, right? It is a river. In order for you to receive, you must also give. It is not a one-way street, and you cannot expect one to not get stagnant without the other. Um, it is an interaction between the two elements. Um, it is not a one-stop exchange. When that flow dries up, it is coagulated blood, and everything stops until it dies. I thought a lot about this recently. Um, some professional relationships in the space came to a bit of a halt to me at the end of last year. And I'm wondering, why am I not receiving, right? Uh, it's because I wasn't giving. Was I totally giving my all? I don't think that I was at the time. Was I continuing to give back like I'm doing with $100 tonight? I wasn't. And it's not always about money. It's not always about gifts. Sometimes the greatest giving that you can do is a compliment or a positivity or a flower or a note or kind words or anything to support someone is the type of giving that I'm, I'm more talking about here. Uh, much like the flow of energy in our bodies, money and currency aren't meant to be static. And I spent so much time on this journey looking for certain things that no one is meant to hold it. No one is meant to hoard it. Um, as it goes, it comes. As it comes, it goes. And in order to keep that flow coming, I believe in some of these spiritual laws of success that you must first give before you're able to really receive. And I can speak to this very anecdotally. Um, I think about when I ran the DFS Open a few years ago, and I try to be cognizant and cognizant the new sponsor of the Honda, ironically, but it brings to mind that um, I did this for the right reasons, and I wasn't worried about making money off it. I wasn't worried about receiving anything from it. I wanted to do it to bring people together, and I wanted to do it to be able to give to a charitable organization. We raised almost $45,000 in that event. I spent so much of my own money to run that event. I paid for my own entry. I bought all the marketing materials, the website, the stuff for the gift bags, um, I poured my own dollars into that event without expecting to receive anything back. And a few short months later, I received a gift from the DraftKings gods and was able to make enough money in one contest on a $15 entry to put a down payment on a new home for me and my wife. Um, it speaks to the law of giving. I hope that you all recognize that a little bit this holiday season. And as someone who is extremely grateful to receive an offer to join such a great team like Roto Baller, I want to make sure to not forget this and give back to you each and every week. Um, I try to give you my advice from a course standpoint, from a pick standpoint, but I also try to be vulnerable so that you can create a better connection with me as a person. And I hope that that forms a bond, which you will maybe subscribe to this page, but will hopefully continue to keep us connected on this journey together because we are a team uh, relying on moments of struggle and success, you know, kind of trying to relay that to make you all feel a part of this journey with me. I bring you myself in hopes of a prosperous 2024, in hopes of your support, of your friendship, and, and maybe a little bit of, you know, buy a t-shirt or something, you know, whatever you guys want to do. Cheers to us. Golf is back. You're the dragon 2024. This is going to be the best year of my life. I hope it's the best year of yours. 
Thank you for joining the show. This has been Preferred Lines. Until next week, I'm Joe Idoni. I'm out of here. We'll see you for the Sony. Peace. You guys are always...